Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, I'll tell you about a major airline that was sold for less than the price of a coffee, while Tom takes a dive into the world of biometrics. Joe will see how close India's Jet Airways is to relaunching, while I take a look at the second surprise A380 return in just two weeks. Finally, I'll tell you about a smartphone that wrapped up frequent flyer status after being forgotten on a Qantas plane. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And Joe, $3 for an airline, that sounds crazy. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how much do you think it is to buy an airline, Tom? (laughs) But you've already said $3. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it helps when you're the content manager knowing these things. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not just any airline we're talking about here. This is a flag carrier that has been around for almost 90 years. Um, and Tom's absolutely right. It's sold for just over $3, less than the price of a Starbucks. Um, of course, we could only be talking about South African Airways, which passed into majority private ownership last week. Um, so the airline's new majority owners, the Takatso Takatso Consortium uh, purchased the 51% stake from the South African government um, for a princely sum of just $3.16. That's in US dollars. But buying an airline for loose change, of course, does have some downsides. It's going to cost them an absolute fortune to get South African Airways back to form. Um, as we're all well aware, South African Airways has lost money since 2011. It struggled on many fronts before the pandemic, but COVID-19 saw it grounded and entering into provisional bankruptcy protection. Um, however, last year, after spending billions to bail out the airline multiple times over the years, the South African government finally said that's enough and confirmed that they would be offloading the national carrier. So the new owners are Takatso, made up of local aircraft wet lease, Global Aviation and Harith General Partners, a pan-African investor in African infrastructure. Um, they were actually confirmed as the new majority owners of South African Airways last June, but it was only last week that we actually got to learn the details of the deal. Um, so... The government, actually, the public enterprises minister, who's a chap called Pravin Gordon, he says he's actually admitted that the carriers struggled over the past decade due to gross mismanagement and corruption and state capture and abuse of South African Airways resources. Yikes. (laughs) I mean, we all knew it, but it takes something for a government minister to stand up and admit it. Um, So he says that in exchange for the 51% stake, the government would position the airline for future financial and operational success and would bring in reliable, competent and commercially experienced aviation specialists to operate the airline. Um, He reckons that the airline needs, uh, the country needs the new restructured airline and that in order to get it back to where it should be, it needed to mobilise funding from various sources, including from these potential equity partners. Um, And this was deemed to be the only realistic path for the emergence of a sustainable and competitive South African Airways. The government has promised it will not be contributing any more finance to the new airline, um, but they will receive dividends as a preferential shareholder in the airline. Um, So it's expected that Tatsako, I can't say that word, Takatso will be tipping it around 3 billion rand over the next two years. That's about 186 million US dollars. I don't know about you, Tom, that actually doesn't sound like a lot, um, considering all the work that needs to be done. But um, anyway, that's their investment promise. Um, 
However, some people are saying that because the South African government is retaining a 49% stake, they could have some future funding responsibilities. Um, but the National Treasury has shared, there's an internal document that's kind of doing the rounds, you know, everything that comes out of South Africa is kind of leaky, um, which says that um, they will not be doing so, um, that there is no need for further injection of cash into the new SAA going forwards. Um so, you know, it's a bargain price for an airline. But when you consider that South African Airways is down to just a handful of flights on just a couple of routes, um, there's a long way to go. As you might expect, Tatsako wants to um, eventually list South African Airways on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. But I'd say it's going to be a long road to get back to a position where that can happen successfully. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I really don't know where to start with that airline because it seems... Um, to be very far down the rabbit hole, but I do wish them all the success in getting out. Definitely. Absolutely. So um, I understand you've been learning about biometrics. Yeah. <laughs> Tell so, me all about um, it. Uh, is, is, so March was definitely my one world month. So um, I guess May is going to be my Star Alliance month. And then maybe in July, we'll be looking at Sky Team. Um, but it was quite interesting because this month, uh, Star Alliance celebrated 25 years since the alliance was founded. I think that was actually last Saturday to put a specific date on it. Um, but it was quite interesting because we got invited to a call that was held by the CEO of Star Alliance, Mr. Jeffrey Goh. And, um, you know, there was like a lot of, you know, how these things are. They start with um, just going over what they want to cover. And then there's a Q&A and the Q&A is usually where the fun, interesting bits come out. Um, well, during the sort of spiel beforehand, uh, Mr. Go mentioned about the uh, biometric scheme that um, the one, um, Star Alliance has launched in Frankfurt. So um I kind of thought, well, hang on, I'm going to delve into this a bit for my question because, you know, I've registered for the Star Alliance scheme, uh, the biometric scheme at Frankfurt and Munich, and I've traveled through Frankfurt and Munich quite a few times and never once actually got to use the biometrics um, system. So I was kind of asking, like, why is this and how's the rollout going? And, you know, basically, could it eventually replace a boarding pass altogether with your face? Um, it was quite interesting. So let's start with why I and probably many other passengers so far haven't been able to use it. And that is all to do with COVID-19 and money. Um, you know, this this uh, system was first launched in November 2020. And that was like peak, peak, peak or no, maybe not peak, peak, peak pandemic, but peak, peak pandemic. Um, and at that time, no one was looking to invest in airports because there was nobody flying through airports to make money for airports to sort of offset these investments. Um, so this biometric scheme really was launched on a very minimal basis at Terminal 1 in Frankfurt Airport and also at Munich. Um you know, if you look just at Terminal 1 at Frankfurt Airport, this is a real fortress of Star Alliance Airlines. And it has around 100 gates if you include, uh, I believe if you include that some are divided between Schengen and non-Schengen, they're technically separate gates using the same infrastructure. Um, so it was quite interesting because Go explained to me that when they rolled out the biometric solution, um, the case was that there were restrictions on capital expenditure, which basically meant they couldn't put in all of the... 
um, technology that they need to make this happen. But he said they're now in advanced discussions on the rollout across the terminal, um, as well as perhaps other airports. Uh, so far, there's four in the scheme. Um, and all the infrastructure changes take place require a significant amount of investment, but it's now beginning to look like this is back on the table. Um, he was kind of suggesting that the time frame that we're talking about is more like one to two years rather than 20 years until the hardware is available to be installed in the airport. So um, quite an interesting one there. Um, I did also ask how many people are actually using the scheme because so far it's limited to miles and more members um, and uh, whatnot. Um, it's interesting because he said around the start of the scheme in November, late 2022, uh, late 2020, sorry, there were only around a thousand people joining the scheme a month. But this has since ballooned to, you know, there's 60 to 70,000 members now. And um, you may think, well, perhaps there's lots of members like Tom who haven't, who have registered but haven't used it. Um, but actually, he said they're seeing a huge spike both in terms of enrollments and the customers that are actually using the biometrics points. So, um, interesting one to watch for. I'm hoping to I can fly Lufthansa sometime soon and actually see how well it works. But um, <laughs> yeah. Definitely, definitely. I think it's interesting how COVID has almost made the case for biometrics even stronger because we don't have to deal with real people and we can just kind of walk through. Um, I have to say me personally, I'll be really happy when my boarding pass is my face because I'm yeah. rubbish with pieces of paper and getting I mean, the right app on the thing, screen you know, and everything. My, my face is my, um, my passcode from my phone and that in mm. itself is just such a time saver you know not pressing this number then that number i was going to say the numbers for a second then and i thought i got i better not put my pin on the the podcast <laughs> no it's, it certainly is and uh, speaking about mobile phones it was interesting that apple rolled out the update that allows you to unlock your phone with a mask on at exactly the same time as the uk removed the requirement to wear masks in shops <laughs> well it's interesting that you raised that point because um Jeffrey Go was also telling me that um, their biometrics technology in the airport doesn't need you to take your mask off. Oh, that's um, good. Very clever. So, yeah, I, I'm quite looking forward to the day where I can just travel with my face because, you know, the one thing I, I really like having uh, mobile boarding passes in my Apple wallet. But the one thing mm. that always freaks me out is the possibility of my phone dying and then being without my boarding pass. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And interestingly, Tom and I will be talking in a future podcast episode to a security specialist um, about just this sort of thing. Um, mostly, I think we're talking about how technology can um, uncover concealed weapons. But um, I think we'll we'll also be talking a little bit about biometrics and, and using your face as your boarding pass and how security is mm. going to evolve. So stay tuned. That will be yeah. um, a forthcoming episode. I'm not entirely sure when, but we'll let you know. At um, some point. At some point, um, probably when Tom's on holiday. <laughs> yep. Well, I so, need to go on holidays. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about aviation in India. Um, we do have a huge Indian audience at Simple Flying. Thanks, guys, for always tuning in. Um, and Jet Airways, an Indian favourite, is back. Well, almost. Um, because earlier this week, Jet Airways took off for the first time in more than three years. They operated a flight from Ahmedabad uh, using a 
737800, which was the airline's first proving flight, taking it towards its air operator certificate. Um, so if you don't know, proving flights uh, where airlines need to show that they can handle all the commercial operations. So it's not just a case of can you fly the plane safely and land it. Um, they also needed to set up their checking counters, baggage services, deal with all the crew management. Um, reportedly, as we're recording here today on Tuesday, Jet Airways is undertaking its second flight as we speak. Literally, I think the plane's in the air right now. Um, so all these flights will have an, a full flight crew on board, airline management, engineers. They'll also have officials from the regulator, the DGCA. Um, the first route, which took place on Sunday, was from Delhi to Mumbai and back. Um, that, interestingly, was Jet Airways' flagship route before it went bankrupt. Um, the second one, which is happening right now, is Delhi, Hyderabad, Delhi. Um, the first flight, which I thought was quite nice, it had two pilots and four cabin crew on board, and all of them were ladies. Um, wonderful to see them upholding the gender diversity before they've even started operations. So great job, Jet. Um, and with today's flight, that should take the airline over its required 10 hours of flying time, um, which is what the DGCA says they need to get their AOC. Um, it's been reported uh, just this morning, in fact, that the airline will likely get its AOC within a week. Um, the time taken to get the AOC after proving flights can be a bit variable, um, but as long as they're a success, it doesn't usually take very long. And in previous cases, the DGCA has issued the AOC within a week. Um, so we and it's quite likely they will do for jet as well. Uh, so we could see the airline back in action before the peak summer season, which is very exciting. Um, as we know, they've been really busy the past few months. They've appointed their CEO, revealed their business model. They've been recruiting employees and, of course, now the proving flights. Um, so in terms of what we can expect from Jet, I think um, we had a bit of a conversation before about business up the front and economy down the back. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. Um, but one of the benefits of starting an airline or restarting an airline, should we say, um, kind of fresh, is that they can get rid of all those legacy systems and all those kind of old clunky things that slow things down that have been around for donkey's years. So um, the CEO, Sanjeev Kapoor, recently said that they are working hard to have an amazing app um, the best website, the most modern IT systems, and, you know, just a more modern and contemporary sort of service level, um, but without losing the human touch, because I think that's always something that's important, particularly in Indian aviation, is to still have the, the nice interactions with the very polite cabin crew. Um, so that's Jet, but I also wanted to mention while we're talking about Indian aviation that Air India finally has its very own CEO. Um, so if you remember, um, Ikya Asi, who was um, the former CEO of Turkish, um, he was offered the role back in February and then in March he turned it down, um, leaving the airline scrambling to find somebody to lead the carrier out of its um, difficult times. Well, now it's been revealed that Campbell Wilson, who is currently the chief executive at Singapore, Singaporean low-cost carrier Scoot has been appointed as the new CEO and managing director of Air India. Um, if you haven't heard of him, Wilson brings over a quarter of a century of experience in the industry um, and he's leaving a position that he's been in since 2011, so over, over a decade as head of Scoot um, to accept the post at Air India. He's going to take over on June the 15th um, to replace Ashwani Lohani, who has been the CEO of Air India since 2015. Well, 
I'll stick on the Indian theme. This isn't my next spot, but while we're talking, um, I also saw another bit of new Indian aviation news just um, last couple of minutes before we started recording. So I don't even know if you know this yet, Joe. Um, <laughs> Probably but not. Casa Air, who's another Indian startup, have um, received their IATA um, airline code. Ooh, exciting. What's it going to be? Well, they said they were quite proud to announce their airline code. Yes. And it's Quebec Papa. Oh, why? I don't know, but um, <laughs> that was quite proud. They're quite proud, Quebec Papa. Um, I don't know if it's because oh, of that, but they, that's what they it. said in their tweet okay. on Twitter. <laughs> so... <laughs> I guess all the um, AAs and AKs have been taken up already, so they had to have something quite random. But fair enough. I'm sure we'll find out the story behind that selection at some point. <laughs> Hopefully this week. <laughs> yes. Well, anyway... If I was to go back to our regular week-by-week programming, um, I've got another exciting, I would say, A380 update this week. And I do apologise for going back to the A380, but it seems like we actually do have news about it this week. We are Um, taking bets if you want to pitch in on whether we will ever do a podcast episode without the A380 being mentioned. (laughs) Um, I'm firmly betting on no. (laughs) Maybe we should auction it off. (laughs) Sponsor anyway, a podcast. Stop Tom yeah. talking about the A380. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I wanted to talk about Korean Air this week because, you know, Korean Air, they were one of the first carriers to bring the A380 back into service. But, you know, while they've been fl- technically flying the giant of the skies since September 2020, they really only have been technically flying it. And, you know, they, in reality, they've been flying it once a week to Guangzhou in China. So um, it's not really flying it. But it seems that they've actually decided, you know what, we are bringing the A380 back properly now. So, you know, like airlines, they're updating their schedules every week, pretty much. And usually from a week to week, there's either no changes or there's pretty minor changes. But um, I was digging through data from our friends over at Sirium this week, and there was a pretty big change for Korean Air. So basically, from the 1st of July until at least the start of um, the IATA winter timetable in October, they have scheduled the Airbus A380 to fly a daily rotation from uh, Seoul to New York's JFK Airport. Um, So that's quite exciting. It takes 14 hours, 20 minutes to fly there and 14 hours, 55 minutes to fly back. Um, The exact timings are on the website if if you want to look at them. Um, It's quite interesting as well because, you know, schedules are one thing and what the airline actually does is another thing. But um, I spoke to Korean Air and they did confirm that putting it on the JFK route was was, um, planned and they're planning to run a flexible fleet schedule to meet demand and operational fluctuations. but, um, you know, it's it's interesting to see. It's, uh, if you go in the booking engine for uh, Korean Air and look for the route, you will find the A380 listed as the aircraft operating this particular rotation. Um, it's quite interesting because it's really, you know, like we've looked before at which airports have the most A380s from different operators. Um, JFK is now moving up a band into the um, second highest with um, three different airlines now because it'll have the non-stop um, Korean from Incheon, and then it's going to have the Singapore Airlines stopping for a fifth freedom stop in Frankfurt, and Emirates is flying both direct to JFK from Dubai and also with a fifth freedom stop in Milan. Um, again, it's also interesting, though, when you look at the fleet, because only one of the aircraft has actually been used for revenue service since the start of the pandemic. This is Hotel Lima 7614. Um, they 
we know they're going to have to bring more aircraft back now because um, there's only well, the rotation to um, JFK and back takes 24 hours. And if you think um, it's a daily schedule, so uh, 28 hours, sorry, it's a daily schedule. So if you want to send one every 24 hours, but it takes 28 hours to go there and back, you clearly need two of them. Um, now, assuming you that they need keep three just in case. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming that they keep flying to Guangzhou as well, that won't fit in with the current schedule. So they would need three, mm. which would be around 30% of their current fleet of 10 aircraft. Um, of course, obviously, they're going to get their um, Asiana ones if and when that deal goes through. But um, let's not think about that right now. Yeah, <laughs> let's not muddy the waters. Great to see the yep. Super Jumbo back though, Tom. And I know it makes your day yeah. every time you see another one it popping does. up on the uh, on the schedules. <laughs> it does, it does. And, you know, it's I'm just really happy in a way because every, everyone, even me included, thought Corona would really be the death of the A380. But so many airlines are actually saying now, no, you know, it is part of our fleet and maybe it will play a smaller part. But I think a lot of the airlines are kind of realizing that, um, you know, these aircraft are young, demand is returning, and they will be needed for what they were needed for before, again, at some point. And without them, you've just got to use a smaller aircraft. Yeah, definitely. Well, good news, I guess. Um, so I wanted to return to um, kind of Simple Flying podcast format as well, because we always used to finish the podcast with a more lighthearted story. Um, and we haven't for the last few weeks. I don't know if that's because there haven't been I any think, lighthearted um, last stories. Few years. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we haven't done that since like the start of COVID-19. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I want to bring it back. I want to bring back the fun fifth story. Um, so my little tidbit today is a story of a stowaway iPhone that almost reached gold status on the Qantas Frequent Flyer program after it was abandoned on an Airbus A330 for four days. Um, so this is the story of an iPhone that was in a business class seat. So it was very comfortable. Um, and it travelled six international sectors on an Airbus A330. And throughout the adventure, it was tracked on the um, very useful iPhone's Find My Phone app um, and actually gathered quite an audience from um, followers watching on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum. Um, so, yeah, it was a very lively discussion. It was it was kind of drama. And, you know, if, if you followed any of the Avios adventure lost bag story with the air tag and how useful that was um, I'd argue that iPhones find my phone is almost as useful although it does rely on the phone battery um, so I'm guessing this lady did not have an iPhone 11 because her battery lasted about four days and I can guarantee the iPhone 11 only lasts 24 hours so <laughs> the journey began innocently on Qantas's QF143 from Sydney Kingsford Smith Airport um, to New Zealand's Auckland International um, the Airbus A3 330 was registered VHQPA and the phone was as I said settled comfortably into the luxury of business class seat 3E. After leaving the plane the owner who goes by the pseudonym of Mrs Rugby discovered her phone was missing and immediately set about finding it. She first thought that it had been left in Sydney airport in the Qantas lounge um, but using the Find My Phone app she spotted it was still on the aircraft. However by this time the phone had already begun flying back to Sydney on board Qantas QF146 <laughs> and after a short layover in Australia it headed off to Hawaii. The phone stayed settled in its seat and returned to Sydney the next day. 
After that, it picked up the pace and did a quick Sydney to Auckland return. Um, but Mrs. Rugby was obviously very determined to get through to the unanswered phone on the Qantas help desk and finally managed to get somebody to help her. Because within a few hours, the phone was due to go to Asia. On its itinerary next was a flight to Singapore Changi Airport, returning to Sydney and then returning to Auckland, where Mrs. Rugby was still on holiday. But finally, with the help of a Qantas employee, she managed to get herself reunited with her iPhone. Um, it was about 100 miles short of Qantas gold status and she did make it a little tiny silver status card that she kind of tied around the phone um, for, in recognition of its world-travelling adventure. So big vote for Apple's Find My Phone app there, I think. And uh, uh, all seriousness, though, how did they not clean that seat and find that phone before <laughs> before this situation arose? Yeah, I mean, who really knows there? You know, I'm surprised that um, there wasn't it wasn't possible to get it off the plane beforehand even, but hey. <laughs> well, from what I hear from our Australian reporter, I think you've got um, more chance of winning the lottery than of Qantas actually picking up the phone these days. Um, problems down under, let's not get into that. That's for another podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's about all we've got time for today and Tom does need to go and rest his husky voice. So we hope you enjoyed it and welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.